Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Hey, if you're a fellow podcaster, let me tell you about Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And let them know the nerd sent you by adding our podcast, The Amazing Nerd Show, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Once again, that's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching Badass Rockabilly Track. Now calibrating Mind Link with Birds. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's show, we're breaking down the first episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and we're also reviewing the second season of M. Night Shyamalan's Servant. That's right, and we're also reviewing the last stop on the road to WrestleMania. But before we move on, I just wanted to give you guys a friendly reminder that me and Damon do record these over Zoom. So occasionally there are going to be technical difficulties here and there, but I do try to clear them up in the editing process as much as possible. And also, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. All right, this week we got a review from E-Rock the Red saying, fun and informative. These guys are super knowledgeable, have a great dynamic together, and make for a fun listen. Highly recommend this podcast. Hell yeah, thank you for the review, man. Yes, definitely go ahead and DM us your uh, address and we'll send some show merch your way. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, at first, we got some sad news to talk about as we have the MCU Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings and Black Widow get delayed once again. Well, where there's smoke, there's usually fire. Um, last week, we had heard that Black Widow's theatrical release was going to be a last-minute decision. Well, I guess that moment has arrived, and Disney is choosing not only to push back the release date to July 9th, but they're also going to simultaneously release it on Disney+. Plus. For an additional cost to subscribers. Um, this of course caused a ripple effect uh, with the MCU schedule uh, and now Shang-Chi uh, is going to be pushed back to September 3rd. I mean all in all this is no real big surprise. I think the writing was pretty much on the wall and I mean if you're in Marvel's shoes pushing back just a couple months to a point where like hopefully more people are vaccinated can only help their box office. I mean in the meantime we've got plenty of Marvel content to hold us over with you know the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the Loki series debuting in June so I guess it is what it is and it's just the times that we live in right now. I mean, yeah, it's shocking to see uh, Disney kind of following that HBO Max formula now with their releases. But I mean, I'm happy to you know be able to get these movies at home. I, I guess. I mean, it's not really HBO Max's formula since they're charging like $30 a household. 
<laughs> so, but I mean, it's been long speculated that they might go this route and they've mm-hmm. been already testing it out with other films. So it only really makes sense. We'll see if they do it with any of the other MCU. Well, speaking of Marvel content, the Hawkeye series getting a spinoff featuring Echo. So according to a new report from Variety, the MCU is developing a Hawkeye spinoff series for the character Echo, who's played by Elquia Cox. I apologize if I'm butchering that name. Um, Emily and Ethan Cohen are attached to write and produce, along with Kevin Foggy, of course, and he's currently assembling a writer's room. So Maya Lopez, a.k.a. Echo, uh, is a really cool and interesting character. Uh, she was created by David Mack uh, during his, like, underrated Daredevil run that I think gets kind of overshadowed because it was right before, like, Bendez's like, legendary run. Um, but... I don't know. She was actually the first character to wear the Ronin getup before Hawkeye. And she was one of the initial characters, like, part of, like, Bendez's uh, game-changing New Avengers team. Uh, she's a master of martial arts who happens to be deaf. She has this, like, photographic, like, reflex thing going for her um, to a degree, kind of like Taskmaster, where she's able to, like, mimic other characters' fighting styles and physical movements. I believe the last time I saw the character was in the pages of, like, Captain Marvel's, like, most current run. So she's got, like, strong ties with the Marvel Universe across the board. It'll be interesting to see her role in the Hawkeye series. Uh, I'm wondering if they're going to explore the Ronin storyline that connects both her and Hawkeye. I'm excited just to see this character. I think she's just really underutilized in the comics, and it's awesome that she's getting a chance like at the spotlight with her own series. All right, up next, director of Promising Young Woman, Emerald Fennel, um, reportedly writing for Zantana film. So we heard last week in a story that Zantana, you know, was getting a series. But I would think both of these stories are kind of one and the same. So apparently Zantana's actually getting a film, especially since both stories has like J.J. Abrams attached as producer. Uh, but yes, so Variety's reporting that newly Oscar-nominated director Emerald Fennell, and if you haven't seen Promising Young Woman, definitely go check it out. It's fantastic. Uh, we'll be writing the script for the Zantana film. Uh, we know J.J. is also developing a Justice League Dark series. I'm gonna assume that, you know, Zantana's gonna be part of that also, since she's, like, one of DC's, like, most powerful, like, sorcerers. Um, and she's usually traditionally part of that team. She's a real popular character for DC. Um, I know my daughter loves her in the DC Superhero Girl series. So it only really makes sense for DC to, like, want to do something with her on the live-action end of things. She's got, like, a really, like, interesting backstory that I think would lead to a great film. Yeah, I mean, it would be a complete missed opportunity if they didn't take, you know, Zantana and make her, you know, a big star on her own series as well. Um, there's tons to go with with that character. Um, I definitely think if done right, you know, you're looking at another almost Harley situation with marketability of the character. Well, we also got some DC Films casting news. So The Hollywood Reporter is bringing us news that Pierce Brosnan will be playing Dr. Fate in the upcoming Black Adam film. Uh, donning the golden helmet, Brosnan will be playing the Kent Nelson version of the character, the original Dr. Fate. 
just like Zantana, uh, Dr. Fate is one of DC's like most powerful mystical characters. Uh, he'll be joining his fellow Justice Society members that have already been cast. We know as of right now that Adam Smasher's in the film, uh, played by Noah Ciento. Uh, we've got Hawkman cast in the film, played by Eldis Hodge, and Quintessa Swindle playing Cyclo. I think I also heard that there's two other like unidentified characters that are going to be part of the film as Justice Society like members, but don't quote me on that. But anyway, um, I like the choice of Pierce. He's a real strong character actor. I mean, he was freaking James Bond for crying out loud. Um, and DC has come out and said in the past that they had big plans for the Dr. Fate character. So maybe eventually he'll get his own solo film or who knows, maybe we'll get a Justice Society movie at some point. Um, Black Adam doesn't currently have a release date, but it is rumored to start filming in April. So it's definitely on its way. Yeah, it took me a moment to, I think, let this sink in, but I definitely think um, Pierce Brosnan will be the, a, a great choice for the role. Uh, I definitely thought, I, you know, I guess my mind was stuck on maybe like a Mads Mikkelsen type to play um, Dr. Fate, but, you know, I think Pierce Brosnan would be perfect for it in the end, so it's fine with me. Well, I mean, Mads would be great in any role you give him, so. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, t I totally understand why you're going that route, but yeah, no, uh, no, Pierce, Pierce is not a bad choice at all. Also, we got a report that Oscar-winning actress Helen Mirren uh, has closed a deal to play the villain Hespera, a daughter of Atlas, in the Shazam sequel, Fury of Gods. Um, that film is set to be released June 2nd, 2023. And I've honestly never heard of Hespera before, so I've got nothing to add to that story. <laughs> Christian? Yeah, man, I, I don't know anything about the character. I did enjoy the first film, so I, I am kind of looking forward to whatever they do next. I'm hoping, you know, there's it's it's an interesting villain, at least. <laughs> I'll have to do my research. Here's to hoping, right? All right, Christian, the wait is finally over. It's time to break down the first episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Warning spoilers for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier ahead. You have been warned. Is there any chance, and of course you could say no, that I could get a selfie with your arms out? Are you serious? <laughs> All right, so before we go ahead and give our overall thoughts for the first episode, uh, make sure to tune in every week because we're going to be breaking down every single one of these episodes, uh, just like we did for WandaVision. So I think that's going to be our new format for every one of these MCU shows. Yes, allow the speculation to begin. What were your overall thoughts on this episode, Damon? So I thought this was a hell of a first episode. I mean, it gave me strong Winter Soldier vibes, which is still one of my favorite MCU films. I mean, we got like cinematic worthy action, intrigue, and like most of all, we got a deeper exploration of the Sam and Bucky characters. Because like, even though they've been around for years in the MCU, this one episode might like match all their screen time combined, like through multiple films. And that's what these series are going to give us at the end of the day. Like besides like awesome entertainment, it's going to give us like layers and dimensions to these like, you know, supporting characters that the films could never give us within their runtime and really show that these characters are well deserving and worthy of leading and starring in their own stories. Oh, exactly. It's definitely cool to see a deeper level for like these what were considered minor characters before, um, you know, and I was actually excited that they didn't automatically just show up on screen together. Like um, a lot of what those trailers gave me um, for the impressions were like that first moment where he's flying through the canyons and stuff like that. You know, uh, Bucky was already going to be with him. So I'm, I'm glad that we're going to see like a little bit of build up 
up before we get you know the dynamic duo of these two throughout the um, show i definitely had a good time with this episode and i am looking forward to more coming down the road i'm super awesome with the action we got for falcon i'm definitely interested in seeing more about his family life and stuff like that you know coming from both characters and the amount of trauma that has gone on in the winter soldier's life is ridiculous and i can't wait to unpack all of that hopefully over the next five plus episodes all right so the series is taking place six months after half of all life has returned from the blimp and everyone's still trying to cope with half the population returning after four long years uh sam has now been pardoned for his part in breaking the sokovia accords and is now working with the air force they're in the middle of the mission uh in tunisia after the returning Batarak from Winter Soldier uh, and his terrorist buddies have hijacked a plane and have taken a pilot hostage. Sam goes on a high-speed chase through the air that's simply breathtaking, trying to free the hostage before they fly over the border, causing an international incident. I thought it was hilarious um, when they didn't, like, when they told the guy flying the plane that he was crazy for seeing Falcon on the outside. Uh Uh-huh, right. Um, I loved that action sequence. I mean, it Mm -hmm. was, I mean, super cinematic and really showed off what a fucking badass Sam really is. Um, Because he never really gets, like, his just due. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. in the films, I mean, he has his moments and everything like that. But the fact that he's able to take this entire group down, like, on his own was fantastic. Um, I love, you know, whatever they were doing, the paragliding that the the, uh, terrorists were doing, too. (laughs) Um, You know, especially, like, surfing through, like, you know, the canyons and everything. I thought that was a really nice touch. And just, like, how Sam, like, just jumps in the middle of that helicopter while they're all sitting there thinking they got away. And it's like, hey, what's up? And (laughs) takes them down. And I love how they kept it, like, you know, a race down to the wire where, like, Sam, at the last seconds, you know, right before they cross the border, you know, just dives through, like, you know, the helicopter bay, I don't know what the hell you call it, and just grabs the hostage and just flies right through. Um, Just a really, really nice touch and just sets you know, the perfect tone for the action in this series. They also did a really great job of showing, like, how important Red Wing is, you know, for what Sam does. You know, as this drone. I mean, in the comics, it's an actual fucking bird. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that Sam has this, like, mysterious, like, psychic link to. <laughs> where he can actually, like, see through the bird's eyes. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I much prefer, you know, this version of the story. Yes. <laughs> so, because there was actually, like, speculation for a while in, like, Marvel Comics that Sam was, like, a mutant because of this link. Because no oh, one can okay. really explain you know the link mm-hmm. i'm sure some writer has and i just don't know about or i didn't read it but like i know there's been a few different explanations that ended up not necessarily being true so but yeah he's got this weird psychic bond to this bird randomly he just takes so. peyote every time he goes yeah, on right. a mission <laughs> and then he's connected we're in the spirit world <laughs> but yeah no just a great sequence and the perfect way to start this episode so next we see sam um having lunch with uh lieutenant joaquin torres who was a character i didn't even know was in this series somehow uh he ends up in the comics being the new falcon and sam's sidekick when sam eventually becomes captain america so I was like, oh, holy shit, look at that. Um, apparently in the MCU, uh, Joaquin is a lieutenant um, and some kind of engineer. He even offers to help uh, fix uh, Red Wing, which Sam is having no part of. He does end up bringing Sam up to speed about this new terrorist group, the Flag Smashers. Um, I thought this was interesting just because 
the Flag Smashers or the Flag Smasher is like a character in the comics who is just a single character. It's not a group. I mean, he has a group working for him called the Ultimatums. I believe they they're all in white. They've got berets. Um, they ended up actually secretly, you know, working for the Red Skull. Um, to the Flag Smasher's dismay. But uh, the Flag <laughs> Smasher, um, he's kind of a goofy character. Uh, he was actually in, like, some of the first, like, Captain America books I ever read. Um, he basically is against, like, nationalism, where uh, he doesn't believe in borders. He believes we should all be united as a people and not worry and live underneath flags. And that, though, those flags are what causes so many wars. Um, so, I mean, idealistically, it makes sense. But the problem is, is he's a fucking terrorist and he blows things up to, like, make yeah. his points. <laughs> so, and it seems to be more the same with this group. So it seems like they took that character and just, you know, made it into a whole, like, organization. Uh, so I thought that was interesting, unless, you know, he ends up actually being, like, the leader of the group. We'll see if that happens. But, I, you know, there's no signs pointing that way at least right now so and we'll see maybe they work for zemo because we got no zemo in this episode no and that's my guess that's where i'm thinking it's going to go to like zemo's kind of you know sending out the orders throughout whatever app they're using yeah and that's kind of what leads to all these moments what a world we live in they're they're using an app <laughs> that's <Yes>. hilarious <laughs> and then like torres has some kind of app where he can see like their symbol can you explain yeah, this to me <laughs> he was explaining like they leave their mark using AR on different places. Well, that's convenient. Um, yeah, I don't. <laughs> why I really would you want? Why they do it? Yeah, <laughs> it's like a weird like terrorist version of Pokemon Go. Yeah, like I don't get it. Um, like and why would you want clues? Is easily available. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> All right. So, but anyway, Taurus then promises Sam that he'll keep him up to date on like what the group is doing. And it seems like he's going to be tracking them. So in the next scene, we see that Sam's been struggling with, you know, Steve passing the mantle of Captain America onto him. Um, and it, it, it seems like he just feels like no one is really deserving of, you know, wearing that shield um, and carrying that torch on. So he's decided to donate the shield to a U.S. government museum. Uh, to display. Uh, he has a real nice like heart to heart with uh, Rhodey who makes a surprise appearance um, and it feels like Rhodey's kind of like what the fuck man you know <laughs> <laughs> this this was supposed to be for you this this shield like if not you then who uh, is gonna mm -hmm. carry it and like how important it is that you know someone you know uh, carries on the legacy of Captain America so, um, you know, he doesn't really, like, bust his chops, but you could tell, you know, uh, that was the undertone <laughs> of the conversation. And I'm sure they're going to have a talk again at some point. Yes. So, <laughs> and hopefully we get some War Machine action, too. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, I mean, Rhodey's dealing with some major shit, too, because he just lost his best friend also. So, I mean, it was a nice parallel going on there between mm -hmm. the two, uh, you know, um, it was a very well-worded scene, though, his speech beforehand, because it, it made it seem like maybe he's taking up the mantle. And then at the last moment, you know, he really showed that he was giving it away. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely appreciated the writing in that scene. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so up next, we meet up with Bucky. Uh, he's also been pardoned somehow. 
<laughs> we get to experience one of Bucky's nightmares. Uh, he's reliving a moment as the Winter Soldier where an assassination attempt goes awry and he ends up having to kill innocent uh, civilians. Uh, he wakes up. He's obviously haunted. He's obviously seriously traumatized. But the U.S. government's like, oh, no, you're good enough. You know, you're pardoned. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess this is the same government just like that let Wanda just walk off, you know, uh-huh. after Westview. But come on, he'd be in some kind of like military facility, like under like lock uh-huh. and key. Like them, they would be keeping an eye on him 24-7. So, you know, legal or not legal. There's no way they're letting this like ticking time bomb walk around and who could just go on a killing spree like at the whisper of some like you know magical fucking you know password so uh i don't know i love that people were like bumping up against like sam getting alone or not getting alone in this episode but uh-huh. like no one mentions <laughs> that they just let bucky walk around free um but you know it is what it is but i guess one of the stipulations that they put on him uh was that he needs to like attend government mandated therapy uh, I love the back and forth between like him and his therapist. I thought mm-hmm. that was really well done, and you really got to get some kind of insight on um, like you know what Bucky's dealing with and everything. Just the fact that he remembers all the murders that he's actually committed now, I can't imagine mm-hmm. like the trauma that he's suffering through. Um, I love the idea of the list where he's trying to like kind of make amends and also like you know help like track down some of these other agents that he's worked with in the past. Um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it was definitely interesting seeing the list of names. Uh, you know, there's some random Easter eggs towards like people he's worked with or comic book writers and stuff like that. But the most important one was, of course, Baron Zemo being on the list. Funny enough, I'm surprised, you know, there wasn't some weird plan from Hayward to like try and reactivate no. the Winter Soldier, but for the sword. No, that <laughs> makes know? sense. I mean, he I- was... Like I said, like, there's no way he wouldn't be under lock Uh and key right now, you know? (laughs) Like, if the government got their hands on Uh him, they would definitely try to reprogram him for, like, their own bidding. So, (laughs) don't trust the man. Um, I love that, you know, he has, you know, a list of people, too, that he's trying to make amends with. And one of them is, you know, (laughs) the father of, you know, one of his victims, so, uh, you know, th- he, that he's befriended him and, you know, it seems like he's like, you know, kind of watching over him and everything like that. We'll see if he like admits to, you know, actually murdering his son, because it seems like at one point during this episode, he was about to. And then, you know, he ends up walking away. So, yes. So then we catch up with Sam, uh, who's going through some real, you know, family drama. His sister Sarah has been struggling with their fishing business. Um, She's going to be forced to sell the family boat. Uh, Sam is just not having it. He wants to help his sister out and like co-sign on a loan for her, um, you know, to, you know, keep the family business going. So uh, then we, you know, go to the bank and we see Sam like, you know, sitting there with his sister and right away the loan officer ends up recognizing Sam and, you know, starts to fanboy out. Um, But then we soon realize that that doesn't mean shit. They're not getting a fucking loan. (laughs) Regardless of him Uh being a fucking Avenger or not. Uh, We find out that, you know, Sam doesn't have any credit since he's been, you know, gone for four years. He's been basically dead 
And I mean, if you think about it, before mm. that, he was a fucking war criminal. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't really have an issue with this. A lot of people did. And I understand, like, the social commentary aspect that they're going for here. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, can Sam probably go work a few Comic Cons and, you know, make the money <laughs> that he needs to, like, you know, finance this, like, company for his sister? Probably. But. I don't know. I mean, maybe they don't have Comic-Cons in the MCU. I don't know. I mean, but still, like, like I said, I understand what they're going for here. Um, and I feel like it's going to be kind of like a subcontext for the, this entire, you know, series, uh, which makes sense since we're on like Sam's journey to eventually, you know, picking up that shield and you'll be coming Captain America. Also, like, Sam B. Broke is such a fucking Marvel trope, and I don't mean that in, like, a negative way, because, like, Marvel always has their characters grounded with, like, real-world problems, just to make them feel more, like, relatable. I know, mm -hmm. like, there was even a time where, like, Steve, like, Steve Rogers had, like, a side job as, like, a comic book artist to make ends meet. So, I was fine with it, honestly. I also feel like there's probably another bank that would probably give him a loan if they shopped out a little bit further. Yeah. I, I, there's probably like a family bank or something out there that would give him some kind of loan. I'm sure. And I'm 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 guessing like pride is probably part of it also. Uh -huh. But I don't know. Like it's just good storytelling. I mean I could, like I said, I had more of an issue with the government just allowing the winter soldier yes. to like roam <laughs> free amongst the public than I did uh. with like, you know, Sam like getting turned down, you know, for a loan. I'm also kind of curious how much they pay for those missions that they do send Falcon on, though, in general. Like, he just went and saved someone for you guys. Did, did he not get paid for that? Like, Well, he I, does I, say that he's got, like, government contracts that he can uh -huh. show just, like, for, like, proof of income. So, I don't know. Right, okay, well, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just wasted way too much time uh -huh. talking about the finances. Yeah. Let's, exactly. let's move on. So while this is going on, uh, we have a scene where Torres is infiltrating the Flag Smasher group, I guess using his like handy dandy little app. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess they're in the middle of like a bank heist. Uh, he actually tries to make like an arrest, but apparently some of them are definitely super powered because they kick yes. the shit out of him. Uh, yeah, so uh, he's lucky to make it out alive. Right afterwards, he fills Sam in and like with what exactly happened so you know sam's definitely gonna be on the case sooner than later uh they both make sure to be hush hush about the possibility of what is making them super it was very weird that scene where he's just kind of like could it be and then he's like shush and then they move on you think so they're I, referring to the super soldier uh serum that's what i'm guessing you know maybe it's some version of captain america's super soldier serum i don't know could that could that guy that he pointed out that kicked his ass be Flag Smasher himself? <laughs> Who knows, right? Who knows? But yeah, so right at that moment, it's like Sam is hanging up that phone call. His sister kind of bursts into the room, uh, turns on the TV to a press conference where there's a speech given that echoes Sam's speech from earlier on in the episode. But this speech is introducing a brand new Captain America. To Sam's shock and dismay. Yeah, and I feel like I, I get this weird suspicion that even if Sam hadn't given up the shield, this was probably still going to happen. 
Like, oh, that's, yeah. that's just kind of how I felt about that scene in general. Told you, man, you can't, uh, you can't trust the man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't try to make Bucky the fucking new Captain America. Uh-huh. Honestly. And that, I mean, Bucky does become Captain America in the book before. Uh-huh. Sam, but, I mean, that's besides the fact. Completely different storyline. Uh, we know just, you know, from you know, being avid comic book readers that this is John Walker, who is currently the U.S. agent. He did take over the shield for a period of time as Captain America when uh, Steve was disillusioned with the American government. Uh, John actually started off kind of as a villain. Uh, He was the character Super Patriot beforehand, and he was actually campaigning to be Captain America to replace Steve while he was still Captain America, if this makes (laughs) any sense. Um, He held like rallies and stuff like that, calling Captain like, Captain America old and everything. He did everything in his power to really like discredit like Steve as a hero. Um, in the long run, I believe Cap did like defeat him, but then once Steve gave up the shield, the American government was quick to hand the shield over to John Walker as the new Captain America. And he was Captain America for a good like 20 issues of the book. Oh, jeez. I, mean, I didn't realize Steve, it was that long. He was running around as the captain, which is just the lamest fucking, like, superhero identity. It's basically a Captain America, like, uniform, just in black. <laughs> I mean, it's what the U.S., like, agent is wearing currently. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, it was pretty lame. I was like, come on, you're still Captain America. What are you doing, Steve? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I guess his other alias, Nomad, was, you know, taken at that point, so... Um, he couldn't go back to that, so that's what he chose. He just dyed his uniform black. Um, you know, very goth of Steve at the time. At the tail end of Walker's run as Captain America, he ends up getting his parents killed when, like, some of his former allies come back to, like, haunt him. Uh, this puts him in a murderous rage. He ends up being stripped of, you know, the mantle of Captain America, and it does eventually go back to Steve. He becomes U.S. agent, though, and he's a hero to this day um he kind of rides the fence though <laughs> so mm-hmm. i mean sounds like it but yeah he's a really interesting complex character uh we'll see how deep they really get into him and how much of the comic book lore they choose to use um i have a feeling they're not going to go to like that depth though i can't imagine that's a whole different series <laughs> Well, um, getting back to the John Walker we were introduced in this show, though, how did you feel about his like look in the captain suit? Because the general consensus I've found is that uh, he has a pretty punchable face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wyatt Russell, who's the actor who's you know playing John Walker, definitely doesn't fill out the suit as well as Chris Evans, um, but I'm sure that's on purpose too. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sure that's by design. So. Um, everyone's comparing him to the old man in uh up oh yeah yeah Yeah, there's tons of like memes you know with like side by sides between Uh both of them and he he does kind of look like him i won't lie so (laughs) it's all the jawline so Uh but no no i i i just love how like outraged some people were about this like reveal too like they didn't see the trailer uh-huh. Or like you know <laughs> the 900 commercials that that have aired um but yeah yeah it is what it is so they don't do what we do david they're not they're not analyzing every i yeah scene. no that's true <laughs> that's true they're not wasting their lives so uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's our jobs 
<laughs> but just like that, it closes out the episode. Um, I'm still super excited to see what's going on going forward. Um, I think it was a good little cliffhanger there. I was just like at that moment, I was like, what is he going to say as a reaction? But I mean, yeah, that's where you that's a course where you hang it so that we know that's to right watch next week. That's episodic <laughs> television, man. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to 1985. I know. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I thought it was a super strong debut. Um, make sure to tune in next week as we break down the second episode. Well, speaking of shows, you also finished a series this week. That's right. Let's talk M. Night Shyamalan's Servant. Warning spoilers for the series Servant Ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. My name is Leanne Grayson, and I come from Wisconsin. I hope that you will consider me. Do you have him? Oh. As a responsible and moral guardian for your son. They've taken Jericho. A Philadelphia couple is mourning after an unspeakable tragedy creates a rift in their marriage and opens the door for a mysterious force to enter their home. The show was written and created by Tony Bazgallop and directed and executively produced by M. Night Shyamalan. The show stars Lauren Ambrose, Toby Cabell, Nell Tigerfree, and Rupert Grint. So the first season of M. Night's Servant was just another chapter in the director's epic comeback over the past few years after some less than impressive entries of the past decade in the director's filmography. Along with films like Split and Glass, the first season of Servant proved that the director still has the ability to create beautiful, unforgettable head trips that challenge viewers to think outside the norms of Hollywood. So during the first season of the show, we're introduced to the Turners, who have recently lost their 13 week old son Jericho. Dorothy the mother, played by Lauren Ambrose, suffers a catatonic mental breakdown and is only brought back to a functioning state when she's given a therapeutic care doll, who she now believes to be her son Jericho. Everyone in her life is forced to play along with the hopes that she'll soon snap out of it and start to heal. They even go as far as to hire a nanny, uh, Leanne, to watch the doll. But that's where the plot thickens as the doll comes to life with Leanne's arrival. The mystery of who and what the child is and how Leanne's involved sets up a tragic and twisted story that carries us to a fever pitch of a finale that sees Leanne kidnap Jericho, leaving the Turners mourning their son's loss once again. So we start off season two with more questions than answers. And I'm gonna try to do this review as spoiler-free as possible um, for those who have not seen the second season of the show yet. Uh, so tread lightly though, because I will give a few little plot points away. Um, the season is all about the frantic search for Leanne and Jericho. And for every twist and turn, there's a twist and turn. The suspense is a real driving force throughout you know, each one of the episodes as we watch the Turners uh, and their coked out of his mind brother-in-law, Julian, played by the simply amazing Rupert Grit, completely just unravel. 
artfully shot as the first season, most of the story still takes place within the family's uh, lavish brownstone that just serves as this claustrophobic prison of grief for our characters. Even though M. Night didn't direct every single episode this season, his fingerprints and sense of style are on every single frame of this show. From the camera angles to the line delivery, M. Night is definitely steering the ship here. My problem with this season is while it's like breakneck pace keeps you on edge throughout, it did feel like we needed a moment here and there to come up for air. The show felt like it was starting to kind of drift away from its emotional core. There's also a bit of a tone shift with all of its manic energy. It starts to really kind of plant itself in its like dark comedy tendencies. This is definitely part of the tone in the first season, don't get me wrong, but they really lean into it more with this season. For me, this kind of like just offset it and de diffused like the weight of everything that was happening. While watching Julian and Sean try to hold everything together during the insanity of, you know, just everything that's going on was absolutely hilarious at times. There's just moments where I felt like it was borderline camp and sitcom-esque, honestly. I know I'm being really broad in general, but with a show like this, it's hard to really get into details without giving like major plot points away. So forgive me. Also about halfway through the season, um, it felt like the story was starting to be stretched at times to fit like the 10 episode count as some of the plot points became really redundant as we kept on hitting the same notes over and over again. This is all rectified though with an incredibly strong final two episodes that really like recapture the mystery, creepiness, and overwhelming like sorrow of the first season and really like draws you back into the story. Um, I was really looking forward to see, like, at the end, uh, what's in store for the Turners next. So even though, like, the pace and tone shift, like, threatens to derail the story, we managed to stay on track with an insanely weird and unique tale of grief and trauma at the end of the day. I mean, there really isn't a series like this on TV or, you know, streaming right now. Um, it, it feels so original and just a breath of fresh air. So with that being said, if you like your entertainment dark and twisted and depressing as all hell, I, I know I do, um, I definitely recommend checking out Servant. Well, all right, Damien, what grade would you give this? So Christian, I'm going to give the second season of Servant a solid B. It got a little rocky in the middle, but honestly, with those last two episodes, I felt like they were able to really stick the landing and just remind me what made me fall in love with the series in the first place. Honestly, if M. Night's able to keep this momentum and, you know, quality of storytelling throughout the series, this might be end up being some of his best work which is i mean saying a lot because he's got some fucking classics underneath his belt so go check this out it's currently streaming on apple tv plus so damon now that we've entered spring i think it's high time i get myself out of the house 
am back in fighting shape, you know? Ha! When were you ever in fighting shape, Christian? That's besides the point, Damon. Anyway, I want to start getting some cardio in. The only thing I'm really missing at this point are some good, durable shoes. And I think I'm going to treat myself to some thousand fells, the best sneakers for a better tomorrow. That's right, they're a full circle footwear brand grounded in thoughtful design that starts with seriously sustainable super ingredients. Their sneakers are not only zero waste, but stain-proof, odor-free, water resistance. They offer long-lasting durability and yoga mat levels of comfort. Thousand Fell creates the world's first 100% recyclable circular sneaker. Their sneakers are designed from innovative leatherless materials and backed by their brand owned recycling program, which guarantees their sneakers will never end up in a landfill. Thousand Fell sneakers not only do good, they look good, feel good, and they're built to last. Hell, Vogue even said these sneakers bring both the cool factor and practicality. They have everything I could possibly want in a sneaker. I'm talking 100% leatherless, 100% recyclable, 100% vegan, certified by PETA, zero waste, stain and water resistant, odor repellent, blister proof, and with a versatile design to really make a statement. So listeners, make sure to check out thousandfeld.com and be sure to keep an eye out for the latest color drop collection coming soon. That's right. And right now, first time customers will save 10% on their purchase when they order online at thousandfeld.com. And hey, don't forget to select The Amazing Nerd Show during the post-purchase survey. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. It's time for Christian's Corner. All right, starting off Christian's Quarter, this last week in gaming, we got some updates on the next Resident Evil game, Resident Evil Village. We got the PC requirements and recommendations for this entry, plus a beta for its multiplayer counterpart, Reverse. Back in January, Capcom put on a Resident Evil showcase that showed off a pretty impressive looking game. And with that comes some high recommendations for graphical performance for PC players. But let's start with the requirements for all my budget PC players out there. It's looking like you will need a base of probably like eight gigabytes of memory and a four gigabyte video RAM GPU, similar to the GTX 1050 Ti, um, to run Resident Evil at minimum specs. It was also noted that it's possible to play at 1080 um, by 60 frames per second on that configuration if you tick the performance focus setting. However, the recommended specs are 16 gigabytes of RAM along with a 1070 or higher to experience the game in what's called a focus on screen quality mode. And of course, if you're looking to have, you know, that sweet ray tracing, you're of course going to need a card with RTX on. 3070 owners will be able to reach 4K by 60 frames per second. All right, now that I'm done speaking in foreign tongues, for you non-PC players. Another Resident Evil experience that was also announced at that same showcase event I mentioned earlier was Reverse. It's a multiplayer experience putting you in the shoes of your favorite characters of the franchise, along with some dastardly bioweapons. Um, it's getting a beta this April for all consoles except for Switch, of course, and it will be also available on PC. The beta begins April 7th at 11 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and goes until April 10th at 11 p.m. You'll also be able to preload it as well starting April 5th. There was also an exciting announcement made this week regarding Ghost of Tsushima um, as it will now be getting a film version that is getting helmed by the director of John Wick, Chad Stahelski. 
Sucker Punch Productions, who created the game, will serve as executive producers working alongside Chad Stahelski's company, 8711 Entertainment. Ghost of Tsushima is PlayStation's fastest-selling first-party game, selling 2.4 million copies in its first three days. Proud to say that I was one of those millions, as that was actually the game I relaunched The Amazing Nerd Show's Twitch with. Um, and was actually my personal game of the year in 2020. The game is also one of the top nominated games across the board at Game Awards and BAFTA, um, having won audio achievement at the BAFTAs this week. With all that said, it makes perfect sense for Sony to be interested in making a film out of this game. The core story itself makes for cinema gold in my eyes. I also think it would be pretty cool if we can get you know some of the voice actors to play their parts, especially since they're modeled perfectly after the voice actors and stuff like that. I think Jin's perfect, still the perfect age to play himself as well. So, I mean, it would be cool to see that, but only time will tell what we get out of this film. And since I mentioned the BAFTAs just a moment ago, for those of you who haven't seen the winners, the two big games of the night were Hades having won best game and the somewhat controversial Last of Us Part 2 winning game of the year along with best animation and best leading performance by everyone's favorite villain Abby as performed by Laura Bailey. Love it or hate it, you have to at least acknowledge how grand of an experience Naughty Dog put together in The Last of Us Part 2. And God knows I also still need to give Hades a try as it seems like a game right up my alley. But speaking of playing games, make sure to check out The Amazing Nerd Show on Twitch. We go live every Thursday through Sunday at 12 noon with everything from retro games to big AAA titles, and of course, everything in between. Right now, we're continuing on with the Batman The Telltale series as we just started the sequel, The Enemy Within. We're also continuing The Witcher 3 and our casual retro playthrough of GTA San Andreas on PS2. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at AmazingNerdLive for updates on my stream schedule. Otherwise, make sure that you are following the main Twitter at AmazingNerdShow to see when we go live in general. All right, now on to wrestling. You want to talk about this could be your last WrestleMania? Every match in here could be my last match. For 10 years, I dreamed of getting this back. The second night of WrestleMania is 10 years to the day that I announced my retirement. This is my dream. This is everything I worked for, and you want to take that away? Huh? Oh, oh, but you want to face the winner of a match from night one and night two and pick the bones? Uh, very heroic of you, Daniel. You know what? Here's the thing. I won the Royal Rumble. I came in at number one. I lasted everyone. I lasted everyone in that match, you included. You, you lost twice to Roman Reigns, and I won the Royal Rumble. So here's the deal. You don't deserve the match at WrestleMania, you son of a bitch. Christian, we're on the road to WrestleMania, but this past weekend we had a little detour, and that was WWE's Fastlane. So Christian, we're a little crunch for time this week, so we're going to jump right into it. Uh, did you see the pre-show? Uh, no, I did not see it, but I heard Riddle, you know, defeated Mustafa Ali. Congrats. And that seemed to be, uh, the end of Retribution as the whole unit turned on Mustafa Ali after he's been, like, berating them for weeks. Uh, we'll see what that means for their futures, though, because on Monday, they were nowhere to be found. So, okay. it might be back to NXT. Hopefully they get to keep their jobs, um, because this shitty fucking gimmick was... Definitely not their fault. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we'll we'll see though. I guess I thought the worst fate would have been they had to continue on without Mustafa Ali. Like that was just them kicking him out and then having to continue on. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they kept like Mace and like T Bar as a tag team. Uh-huh. You know, with the stupid masks. But I'm really hoping like the rest of the unit can go back to just being themselves, honestly. And get a fresh start. Because yes. th- this whole fucking gimmick was the shits. All right. First up on the card, we had Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, uh, with, with Reginald, of course, defeating Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. So, yes, we got Sasha's uh, full heel turn here. Um, but it's been pretty telegraphed for the last oh, month yeah. or so. <laughs> um, although I'll even argue that she's never really even turned full face. You know, mm. after the whole, like, you know, Bailey feud, it seems like she's just been kind of herself, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, it is what it is. It only makes sense for the dynamic of the match to have Sasha as a heel. And I feel like she just works better as a heel in general. I will say this match was much better than the match that we got last pay-per-view, I believe mm-hmm. in Elimination Chamber, correct? Yes. Um, everyone, you know, worked hard in this match. I thought the angle, like, went off smoothly. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it was it was a well-performed match, I will say. I guess I was just disappointed that there wasn't more dissension between Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler in this. Because I was expecting them to also implode at some point, but... I guess, but I feel like they've been teasing that like on and off for the last mm-hmm. like you know since they've been together really, um, you know, and it seems like it's Reginald now who's like stirring the pot. Maybe that comes like at WrestleMania, and I, I mean I hope so. I just want Baszler away from Nia yes. at this point. Although I I am enjoying like Nia being like his like sugar mama. I won't I won't lie like those <laughs> those skits have been entertaining and just watching how like annoyed Baszler is. Um, but I'm just over this tag team and it's time to move yes. on and invest like in other teams, because right now I don't even see where, you know, who the opponents are for them at WrestleMania. That's a good point. I can't even think of someone to fight them right now. And I would have said someone from NXT, but now that they have their own tag team division of champions and shit. It doesn't make any sense. So I don't know. No, it's weird. It's weird because they, Mm -hmm. they, they've really been such a focal point of like both programs, but they have nothing. It seems like (laughs) planned for them um, for the biggest show of the year. So it is what it is. Well, talking big, we have big E defeating Apollo Crews for the intercontinental championship. Um, I thought they had gotten rid of, Apollo Cruz's accent? Apparently they did not. No, it's definitely still there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that it goes away soon because it's absolutely yes. ridiculous. Uh, um, I thought this match was good for what it was, but I've mm. seen it like 10 times over the last like mm. month. And the fact that like Apollo lost again, but it doesn't seem like the program's ending just made me fucking cringe. I was in the, the, the finish was so botched where like, I was like, okay, it doesn't seem like anyone knows really what the fuck was supposed to happen. Like, I'm sure, you know, Biggie was supposed to win, but 
It just like the announcers were thrown off by it. The refs seemed confused. Oh, um, that's now I'm remembering. That's where they had the like kind of double pin situation there, and it just didn't look right at all. Yeah, and you can yeah. tell that they that they didn't know what to do because they didn't even show a replay of it. No, at yeah, because it was totally fucked up. Yeah, mm-hmm. both. I think both of their shoulders were on the mat at the time. Yes. So, and maybe <laughs> that's what they're gonna go with. Um, and you know the reason behind a rematch. But yeah. I don't want to see this at fucking Mania, man. And that's no. that seems to be where they're headed. Hopefully, they end up and like doing some kind of like I don't multi man match or something to make this interesting. Like where you keep Apollo in the mix, but you can involve like Sami Zayn and like Kevin Owens and other wrestlers mm. just to give them a spot on the card, but also just make the match interesting because. I don't know, man. I just, I could care less after watching Apollo lose over and over again, even with the new gimmick. Because <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, he's got a new gimmick. He's going to win here, right? Uh-huh. You're going to start him off hot. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, God. Um, up next, we had Braun Strowman defeating Elias in a singles match after Elias was um, forcibly put into the match by Mr. McMahon. I've been seeing clips here and there. By Mr. Ma- was it Mr. The- McMahon or Shane McMahon? Oh, Shane McMahon. I apologize. It's a different Mr. McMahon. Yes. yes Only Vince gets Mr. <laughs> McMahon, my friend. Um, well, this was a total bait and switch. Uh, this uh-huh. was supposed to be Shane. Uh, it made no sense to me at the time because I was like, this is the Mania match. There's no way that they're going to you know, do a rematch mm-hmm. for Mania. Although with WWE nowadays, who the fuck knows? Um, but yeah, no, it, it was the classic bait and switch. Poor Elias always feels like he's put in the spot. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, every you know, time. Just a fucking pawn. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it, it was a nothing match. This whole program fucking sucks. I don't know, I know. what's going on with Shane, but like... His delivery has been so off and just I don't know if it's the script that they're giving him, but like it, it, it it's a whole angle based on Shane thinking Braun is stupid and that's it. Like there's no real issue between the two. It's just like Shane is bullying Braun for no reason whatsoever. It's real like juvenile. I don't know. Mm. It feels like it's actually written by like like a second grader or something. <laughs> You know, it's just like Shane calling him dumb over and over again and Braun getting angry and smashing shit. So uh, I'm sure like the match at Mania is just going to be an excuse for Braun to throw Shane off something high for the spectacle of it all. Um, and they're just like, well, whatever, let's just, you know, write something for them to say just to get us to Mania because this just feels fucking lazy. It's it's nuts. I mean, what I've seen from the clips online and stuff that they've shown of this feud, I, I have to agree. It, it just looks so childish and stupid. It feels like Shane's like lost confidence on the mic or something, too. Hmm. Just every time he's out there delivering his lines, it is like seriously like cringeworthy where I'm like, what is what's happening here? <laughs> um, but I don't know if that's on purpose or what. It's just really odd to me. So, um, but yeah, this was a nothing match. Braun, of course, went over, and then we got a rematch of this match, of course, on Raw, and it was basically oh, the same results. <laughs> it just set up the match for Braun and Shane at Mania. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, um, up next, we had Seth Rollins defeating Shinsuke Nakamura. This was a good match. I just could care less about the outcome. You know, like, I enjoyed the work between yes. the ropes, and, like, all I kept on thinking was, like, both of these talented fucking wrestlers are being so <laughs> wasted right now. Um, and this was, like, the longest Nakamura match we've had in such a long time. 
Um, and it just made me want, you know, Nakamura of old back. Uh, you yes. know, and it just it also it reminded me at the same time, like how fucking ultra talented Seth is <laughs> when he's not like working this stupid fucking gimmick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's just a detour, like I said, on the road to WrestleMania. It's, you know, I think Nakamura stood up for Cesaro that set up a match between him and Rollins. You knew there was never a point in this match where I thought Nakamura was actually going to go over. Um, so it was just kind of like, okay, you're just like left there, you know, admiring the work, but just kind of twiddling your thumbs, you know, waiting for it to be done with. I was, the only thing I was surprised by was that Cesaro didn't come out at the end. Like there was no interaction between Mm -hmm. like Cesaro and Seth at the end to kind of like set up, you know, that match for WrestleMania. Cause I'm sure that's where they're headed. No. Yeah. Um, I was. I was I, I think I had to text you to ask you like what is, what this match is even about because mm-hmm. even the video package before and the announced team did like nothing to tell me what this really was like why Nakamura was like interested in fighting um Seth at all. That's right. I understand there were friends before uh, with Cesaro but I just I didn't get it. <laughs> well even um before this match took place, there was that mm-hmm. segment that happens where they had Nakamura like stretching the back and yes. they didn't even <laughs> mention the match. They just had Riddle come and interact with them uh-huh. and this total fucking cringe worthy like fucking sophomoric bullshit that they're doing with Riddle right now <laughs> where like even the baby faces hate him. Like, and find him annoying. <laughs> you know, he's sitting there talking about his scooter rambling on and Nakamura just hides, you know, while he's not looking. I was like, what are they, why, like, who thinks this is funny? Like, who? <laughs> I just wonder if uh, WWE would ever go far enough to actually sell a scooter with a main. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure eventually he'll have a scooter with a fucking main and shit. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, just Riddle's so unlikable. Like, I wanted mm. Nakamura just to kick him in the face during that segment. <laughs> um, it, it would get him over as a baby face, that's for sure. Uh, up next, we had Drew McIntyre defeating Sheamus in a no-holds-barred match. This was a banger. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, just two big guys beating the shit out of each other. The only problem is we've seen this, like, twice before. So hmm. I really wish it was, like, the first time we got to see these guys, um, you know, in the ring together. Uh, you know, for this, like, mini program that they're doing. But it is what it is, because that just seems to be like Raw's MO now, like give us rematch after rematch after rematch. Um, and it's not like they don't have like a thousand guys on the roster, so it makes no sense. Um, but this feud just felt like, you know, kind of like a TV thing to do to like hold the guys over until, you know, Mania. Uh, but I enjoyed the match itself. I think it was one of the highlights of the night. Gotcha. I mean, I I did enjoy that they finally threw someone through the uh, the uh, the Thunderdorm crowd. Yes, <laughs> they made just sh- they made sure to have like a little explosion go off and everything uh-huh. to stick it to AEW. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but they beat the shit out of each other. I yes. mean, you've got to give mean, it to them. They really fucking you know took it to each other. So it was it was nice and snug. <laughs> um, mm. But yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I just don't see it, it seems like from what we got on Raw that Sheamus is going to be moving on to Riddle. You did have Drew come out and make the save for Sheamus. Um, he was getting attacked by the Hurt Business during the Lashley match, which was another mm. weird rematch that just happened for no reason. 
Um, but yeah, uh, her business came out, attacked um, Sheamus after the match, and then Drew came out and took care of them. Um, so there seems to be a mutual respect now. Uh, but this whole turn really came out of nowhere and made absolutely no sense. You know, he just broke, kicked him out of nowhere for no reason. And that was like the end of the world to Drew, even though I feel like they've had multiple matches over the years and been yes. on opposite sides <laughs> of the fences many times. But that was like the final straw. But after, you know, three matches, they're, they're buddies again, it looks like. So you know, I was actually uh, disappointed that Lashley didn't have anything to do with this pay-per-view in general. Like, Yeah, you would think you'd at least give him a segment. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, have them watching Drew and Sheamus or, you know, do something to just, you know, remind everyone who the champ is like over on Raw. So I agree. I agree. You want him at least to, you know, get on camera for a little bit. You know, before you strip him of the title at Mania. <laughs> yeah, especially. Yeah. I mean, like maybe give him a glorified squash match or something. Uh-huh. You know, I. You'd hate to see him, like, bury someone, but... Yeah, like, have him, like, beat the shit out of, like, Morrison or Miz again. You know, do something, you know, because were those were those guys even on the, the show? No, I, I didn't see Miz or Morrison on the show. So and... less than a month after winning the title at Elimination uh-huh. Chamber, <laughs> Miz isn't even on the fucking show, right? <laughs> it's, you could have done something where you have, like, Lashley put, put the final nail in the coffin with that little program. Mm-hmm. Although that's, like, over and done with, I guess, but... At least it'd be a reason to get Lashley out there um, to remind the people, like, why he's the champion and why we should be interested in a match between him and Drew. Uh, Up next, we had a glorified intergender match between Alexa Bliss and Randy Orton. (sighs) Yep, we did. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This was probably about three and a half minutes too long. It felt like it could have been a lot shorter. I didn't mind the execution so much because it's pretty much what I thought was going to happen here with the return of, you know, Bray and The Fiend, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but I just hate the fucking new look for The Fiend. And I'm guessing I it's a transitional it. look. He looks like a burnt marshmallow. <laughs> I feel like he's going to go into mania looking like that. I'm hoping not. I'm hoping that this is just like the transitional look before he get like debuts mm-hmm. a whole new look at mania. For the crowd so um it is what it is i can't wait to see how this like plays in front of a crowd i'm guessing they're gonna do kind of like a hybrid of like a cinematic match and like mm-hmm. an actual match um almost like what they did at the wrestlemania where they faced <laughs> yes. each other last time i don't it was uh-huh. like, like five years ago or so um we'll see how that works how that gets over uh, I didn't mind what Bray did with Cena last year. I just don't feel like they can go all in like that this year. Like they, they're going to have to be in the ring at some point, and like mm-hmm. an actual match is going to have to take place, or like some like you know version of a match is going to have to take place, even if it's just like thirty seconds of you know the end of a match. So, uh, but yeah, no, it, it is what it is. I, I will say that they've been you know taking their time. With the feud, that's like one one positive I can say. Um, it's just been too much hocus pocus for me. You yeah, know? I, like I, I don't mind it was... enhancing mm-hmm. everything that's going on, but then where when you start operating in this like I don't know this mystical realm, <laughs> it's just almost too much for me to s- suspend my disbelief in what the fuck is going on. Um, and I had that issue with the Undertaker 
back in the day. Like, I, I never liked it when they went, like, full fucking supernatural with The Undertaker. Um, like, have him, like, you know, actually, like, burning to death and, like, coming back to life, you know, months later. Like, one time they even had to had him, like, float off into heaven. <laughs> like... <laughs> So, so for people who are bitching about this, this is all shit that's happened in the past with Undertaker <laughs> and Kane, you know, or fucking, uh, you know, Papa Shango and, you know, Ultimate Warrior. So it, it's nothing new. I mean, I can't talk. I was like actually kind of into when Mordecai showed up, like it's supposed oh, to be God. his like anti-Undertaker <laughs> character. And then they, then the bell rang and they realized that guy was awful. So uh-huh. he, he was out of the job after like a month. They didn't even get to uh, the feud, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember that. The presentation was cool. Mordecai. <laughs> yes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's a miracle you're still a wrestling fan. Because uh, your childhood wrestling was awful. <laughs> yes. Horrible. <laughs> but I feel like with all the fucking supernatural like stuff with like The Fiend, they've really mm-hmm. like doubled down like with it and like it's just like almost too much and really i think it all stems from bruce pritchard because i know he's like you know behind a lot of the booking Uh, with like you know all the classic undertaker shit Mm -hmm. and this is kind of like his mo and i i feel like he's just having a field day like he just needs to go and like direct his own horror movie or something (laughs) like as a horror movie fan i appreciate it to a certain extent but it's just too much for you know wrestling now, this might be a stretch, but Randy Orton's wife did send a tweet out, you know, a- antagonizing Alexa Bliss. And I was like, is there a chance that it could be Randy Orton and his wife versus Alexa Bliss I, and I, the Fiends? I hope and- not. Because th- <laughs> she's not a worker. So <laughs> why add another combustible like element into that match? You know, they're going to have a hard enough time uh-huh. pulling it off because I'm sure there's going to be enough bells and whistles um, to go around for everyone. So just just go ahead and do your like 75 percent cinematic, you know, 25 percent like, you know, in the ring match, get it over with. Hope it goes off, you know, without any, you know, hiccups and, you know, hope it gets over with the crowd because they haven't done this shit, you know, that much in front of the crowd, like as far as they've been you know, going lately. I don't know if it's going to work with the live audience, Mm -hmm. you know, like Randy puking up, you know, black tar and shit like that. Um, it, I don't know. I'm interested to see like how it gets over with, you know, a crowd or if they're just tired of it now, you know, uh, after all these months of watching it at home. Exactly. I felt like three months of just Alexa bliss taunting Randy Orton was too much already. So I don't know. I get that they're trying to like build up the program and I admire it to a certain extent since that's what they used to do with mania. Mm -hmm. You know, you would get like a, you know, uh, an angle four months out, six months out even, um, you know, and really have it build up, you know, till you get to that point where you're, it's time for a mania match. But not having the fiend like out there at least a couple times, um, you know, during all those months, I think really hurt the angle overall. Well, for me, like a lot of the early stuff that they did with the fiend by just having like a puppet here or there and stuff did a lot more than just having Alexa bliss run out and, you know, do this shit every single week. I mean, that's, they could have done more with the playhouse. Like, I I agree, you know, where you could have had, 
I don't know. You just could have been more creative and you could have had yes. like, you know, the puppets kind of taunting Randy here and there or more weird shit going on. It didn't have to sl- solely like rest on Alexa's shoulders. Like you could have integrated some of those different elements to get it over. So it wasn't so much the same old, same old like week after week because it really was yes. like Alexa sitting on that fucking swing, you know, um, segment after segment after a while. It, it was like deja vu every Monday. I was like, I saw this already, you know? I mean, yeah, they would add a couple new wrinkles, but it was, I don't know. It was so much of the same thing, you know, Monday after Monday. It, it just got old fast. Last but not least, we had Roman Reigns defeating Daniel Bryan to hold on to his Universal Championship. Uh, this was a great match. Uh, I loved everything about it. I don't know why it took them like 20 minutes to get to the ring. I thought that was weird. <laughs> I don't know if they're trying to stretch for time, but it just felt like the whole intro, like both intros took forever. Um, yes. So I don't Which know. Which is very some- odd because it felt like 90% of these matches were super short. But maybe that's why. <laughs> On this card. Maybe they're like, we need to be like two hours and 45 minutes at least. And then, uh, you know, they ran short. So they're like, OK, stretch. Let's get the every every <laughs> minute, every second out of those intros. So but I mean, the match itself was great. I just love Daniel Bryan's style. I feel like both of their like styles work so well together in the ring. Um, you know, and Daniel Bryan knows how to bring the best out of Roman. Really? I mean, just some really like hard hitting Great mat work, awesome transitions. I mean, Jesus, I could watch these guys wrestle all day, honestly. So it's just a it's just great chemistry, you know. Um, and even though it was like a schmaz like finish, I thought it was well executed. Um, but we saw uh, the ref take a bump. Edge, who was you know who beat Jay Uso on SmackDown to become the enforcer, have to jump in the ring, um, you know, and start to actually ref the match. Uh, you get, you know, Jay Uso coming out, attacking Edge, attacking Daniel Bryan. A whole melee takes place. Bryan accidentally, you know, nails Edge. Um, he's down and out. Then you have Bryan, you know, put um, Roman in the yes lock and you actually see Roman tap out, which I think is the first time I've seen Roman tap out, mm-hmm. at least, you know, since he got you know, since he went solo, like, I'm not sure if he ever tapped out when he was part of the shield, but, you know, as a solo act, like, I think this is really the first time I've seen Roman tap out. I love how subtle it was too. Like he was even like too like pigheaded to even acknowledge, you know, Uh giving up, Uh, you know, so he could deny it maybe later on. Um, But yeah, no. And then we have Edge lose his cool, you know, take the chair to Brian, take the chair to Roman, you know, throw a little hissy fit in the ring and then leave totally frustrated with himself in the situation. So I, it feels like a full like heel turn for Edge. And it's been coming for the last couple of weeks, ever since like Elimination Chamber and Daniel Bryan, like challenging Roman again. Edge has been kind of, you know, a whiny bitch for the lack of a better term. Um, so I, I kind of saw this coming. I do find it very interesting, though. Uh, why you would turn edge and i'm not sure if you know after a month you know or so of you know edge being the number one contender uh for you know the wrestlemania main event Mm -hmm. if like vince got cold feet and you know seeing that he wasn't like drawing major ratings like in his segments 
if he just lost confidence in that main event. So they felt like they had to throw Daniel Bryan in there. Um, I'm not sure. It, it, it's weird, though, that you have this guy who's, who's made now like two major comebacks, um, yes. you know, after what, like nine years off? I mean, this this Hall of Famer um, who was, you know, massively popular back in the day, um, you know, not be able to get over as a babyface. It's just really bizarre. And they, I mean, if that's the case, I mean, it the, the blame solely rests on the shoulders of the WWE. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, and just, you know, bad booking because I just can't imagine. Like you had him, you know, go through the entire Royal Rumble. Like he started the fucking match off at like number one or number two and ended up, you know, going the distance to win it. You can't get more like babyface than that. And you still end up having to fucking turn him heel, you know, three weeks out just because of, you know, your lack of booking prowess. Um it's, no, you're right. It's, it's very it strange. It has nothing to do with uh, Edge's ability because, I mean, even when Edge couldn't wrestle, every time he would show up on Raw or SmackDown, he would become the number one thing talked about for maybe a couple weeks. Yes. So it's just, I, I don't get it either. And I mean, I, uh, so I guess during that time, he wasn't drawing huge ratings um, either, but it wasn't lack of ability or like the creative behind it. And I'm sure he was, you know, writing his own shit because his mm. shit like stole the show. Like everything, like, his segments always stole the show. I, I would, I would say like, it feels like everything for Roman Reigns and everything right now, that's where they're focusing all their attention on when it comes to writing. Cause I mean, I don't know how it comes off from TV to pay-per-view, but what I got from the storyline in this match alone, you know, seeing, you know, Brian be the teaser and doing all this stuff in the match to really like upset Roman and stuff oh, like that. How he's taunting just him. Felt like, that yeah, was great. Taunting him the entire time. It was great. It was, I really in his mind. There was so many elements that just went so well in this throughout the entire match. Like Roman talking to Edge on the side the entire time. You know, there was a lot of attention to detail there where, you know, we, we go back to. Alexa and Randy Orton, and I, I don't see anything like that. It's all yeah. just, you know, giant spectacle moments and that don't really work that well on screen. It's all show and no go. Um, yeah. Roman's matches, you know, when he does have them, it's all storyline. You know, everything that yes. he did with Jay, everything that, you know, he's done, you know, with Edge so far and, you know, uh, Daniel Bryan. Every time he's between those ropes, you know, you're hearing so much dialogue so much more like talking and like you know moments that you wouldn't usually get you know with the live crowd so i yes. am interested to see like how they pull that off now that mm -hmm. you know audiences are going to be back in the arenas sooner than later um because i love that i love that they're able to like add that new like layer to his character because the shit talk that he does in the ring is so fucking convincing and it makes him feel so real you know mm -hmm. the whole acknowledge me shit like i love every second of that now i'm wondering if part of the reason that they also wanted to add daniel bryan was that they were scared that like you would have a case of another wrestlemania main event where the heel is being cheered you know, as, you know, the baby face, basically, you know, it, it, it'll be weird because it'll be Roman this time. Who's actually, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, getting all the love and affection from the crowd. But I feel like, you know, Vince has had the comfort of the Thunderdome and like no fans over the last year. So they've been able to book 
the way that they want to book. They've been able to like, you know, dictate like who's getting cheered and who's getting booed. Now that crowds are back and it's a WrestleMania crowd. And even though there's only going to be 25,000 both nights, it's still a big enough crowd for them to be vocal. You're going to have them telling you how they really feel about all these different angles and all these different characters over the past year. So um, we'll see how that works because like Roman, like every, you know, SmackDown, you hear a loud, you know, chorus of boos. Yes. But those aren't real boos because mm-hmm. I feel like <laughs> right now Roman's more over than ever. And people really appreciate him. So I wouldn't be surprised if you have a situation where Roman's the biggest baby face on the card. Um, I mean, do you feel like at this point it might have been better just to have had Brian versus Roman? Just straight up without Edge? Oh, for me, that's definitely a main event worthy, you know, WrestleMania match. So that... I would much rather probably see that match. And just because also I enjoy one-on-one matches for Mm. WrestleMania much more, like especially in the main event. Um, I just feel like they carry more weight and they mean more. Uh, And I just feel like, I don't know, Edge just feels kind of shoehorned in here. You know, even though he won like the Royal Rumble and everything, I feel like the more convincing story (laughs) is with Daniel Bryan on the last leg of his career, you know, trying to have one more moment, you know, in the spotlight. I think that was probably the better story overall, just because there's more of a history between him and Roman. Honestly, for Edge, I wouldn't mind seeing him working like younger talent and getting them over. Like, I feel like after this whole angle is over with, um, you know, whether or not he gets a title run, of course, um, I could see him like, you know, working with some of the NXT guys or the younger mm. talent on the main roster. And, you know, just it just feels like that's what's in his like DNA right now. Like, that's what he wants is to like you know, give back to the business, which is awesome. And, you know, get over this younger talent and, you know, show them how it's done. You know, like who wouldn't want to see him like against, you know, like Balor or, you know, uh, Johnny or, you know, Ciampa. I mean, there's so many different routes you could go. I mean, it just, I don't know. It just, I'd love to see him versus Kevin Owens. And I know Owens isn't a younger guy, but I mean, there's so many different matchups you could do with Edge. Because um, mm-hmm. did you do you really want to see him have like a a prolonged title run? No, uh, not especially not at this point. Like I expect no. him to lose at Mania, yeah, especially against Roman Reigns. I yeah, I mean it's a cool story, but it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like the right time to take the title off of Reigns either. Yeah, and I feel like if someone's gonna take the title off Reigns, it should be Daniel Bryan, not necessarily Edge. Um, just because of where he's at in his career. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it would be a nice moment and everything, but I feel like they've kind of botched it maybe. <laughs> like maybe last year at this time, I would be, you know, saying, yeah. singing a different tune. But now it's just kind of like, okay, you know, it's been a year now since he's made his comeback. And yeah, he had the injury, but I don't know. I'm kind of over the, the, the magic of the comeback, if you will. And I now I want to see him just kind of like, you know, just i don't know putting guys over you know and you know and cementing his legacy even further and he doesn't need the title to do no. that <laughs> he does not need the title because roman and, but, uh, is so hot right now like i don't know mm-hmm. 
No, it's a good point. Like I'd pay money to see him fight either Champa or even Adam Cole at this point. Yeah. Um, like I would it, be fine, honestly. Like if Daniel Bryan doesn't win the title and Edge doesn't win the title, mm-hmm. I'm fine with Roman holding that belt all the way to the next Mania. Honestly, like I could see that happening and him just dominating. Now they're gonna have to like create some fucking baby faces for him to go up against, which they can't do. Yeah, <laughs> but like it can't just be Kevin Owens month after month. Uh-huh. Um, God bless him because he gave it his all. <laughs> but you've got to create other stars for him to go against. Um, but you know, I could definitely see him keeping that belt and having a great fucking reign until like maybe he goes against like The Rock or someone next Mania. So for to be the head of the table, uh-huh. and that is if this is even a three way match, though. Like we we're just assuming that's where they're headed right now. But we're recording this on Tuesday. SmackDown obviously hasn't happened yet, but uh-huh. it just feels like I don't know the natural progression of exactly the story. most logical answer. Yeah, right. Um. So, uh. But yeah, that was Fastlane. Um. It seemed to be a pay per view, really, just to test out the Peacock Network. Um. <laughs> it seemed like it passed overall. Some people were a little upset that some of the normal functions that they have on the WWE network didn't necessarily, like, I don't know, transfer to the Peacock network. But they, they, they're saying that they're going to work that out. Like, I guess you couldn't, like, um, pause and rewind while watching the show live. Huh. Oh, well, live. Okay. Yeah. Which is something you can do on the, you know, the network. Um, but I guess you know that should be coming sooner than later i mean it's just it's 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 a good thing that it didn't just completely crash the network because that Uh was the big fear (laughs) but wrestlemania is a a, a totally different beast Mm -hmm. so (laughs) we'll see how that works um i wouldn't be surprised if there's issues though right i mean i didn't even really think about that like if i decided to watch mania maybe an hour later than everyone else would I be able to start it from the beginning, like how I would on network or not? I don't know. I don't think so, but I could be wrong. I think you have wow. to just jump in live. Uh, that sucks. Or you just have to <laughs> wait. Because um, I'm definitely one of those guys who wait, and then I have plenty of time to fast forward through shit. Like you get that uh-huh. little bump, bump buffer, you know? <laughs> um because yeah like i i know what segments are gonna suck so i usually like give myself a couple (laughs) minutes you know head start for the show so um Um, watching the playback version of it though i was surprised that they you know combined the kickoff show with um the actual thing usually they separate those on the network and stuff like that so i was like oh i have to fast forward now through an hour of kickoff to start the show oh i didn't even notice (laughs) yeah no um, but yeah, that that's the last pay-per-view you'll be able to watch on the network. So I think it yep. ends in a week. So um, it's going to be a while before all the content also transfers over to the Peacock. So it seems like they're just going with like the main like shows that they focus on right now. And like their extensive like library is going to like slowly like trickle in throughout like the next coming months. They said hopefully by like SummerSlam, everything will be up and running. But we'll see. You know, are they really going to give a shit about Mid-South? You know, <laughs> like, uh-huh. like I give a shit about it, but I don't know if they're going to be like, oh, we got to get Mid-South up there, you know, <laughs> for all the hardcore fans. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I just hope we don't lose anything. What star rating would you give this one? I'm going to give this three stars. Um, it's basically a two match card, but I did really enjoy those two matches. Uh, but 
the rest of the card felt like, you know, an extended Raw or SmackDown. Yeah, I was going to say something around the same where it's like I enjoyed maybe three of the matches out of the seven that we got. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to give it I'm going to give it a solid three stars as well. Um, Those matches were pretty damn good. Um, I'm just you know, I'm hoping that Mania is more than three stars this year. I'm, I'm hoping that Mania is, you know, worth being called WrestleMania this year. I am a little nervous. We'll see. I think just the fact that they're going to have an, like an actual crowd, you know, in the arena mm-hmm. will elevate the card um, tremendously because <laughs> it's been so long. Like, I'm really excited to see the audience reaction, you know, to everything that's been taking place over the last year. So, um, but yeah, now I... We'll see. Only time will tell, yeah, I, my friend. <laughs> two nights. Not to <laughs> two nights. That's what I'm also wondering. Do you think a crowd will be more fatigued, you know, with there being two nights rather than one? Well, you're assuming that they're going both nights. I don't think they could possibly be more fatigued than when they're like sitting through a fucking eight hour WrestleMania. Because that's usually that's how long point, a yeah. WrestleMania uh-huh. is. <laughs> so it's probably a good thing that it's, you know, two separate nights because the show just got too fucking bloated at one Mm. point you know i mean listen not everyone needs to be on the fucking card like i understand like it's a major (laughs) payday but back in the day you had to earn your way onto fucking wrestlemania i don't want to sound like an old man but (laughs) nowadays it seems like any excuse to put on a fucking like you know six-man tag or fucking another battle royal just to get everyone out there and just make that run time even longer you know, I, I'm fine with two nights, honestly. I thought it worked well last year, um, but last year was a weird year. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. you know, no fight. Like last year didn't even feel like a WrestleMania. And what's making it feel less like a WrestleMania to me is the fact that they're like using all the same graphics and like theme yes. songs and everything that they did last year. I was like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, I know like last year has kind of an asterisk, but like give this like media a different feel at least. Um, I know it's in the, you know, in Florida again, so that's why they're going with that theme, but that's fine, but I don't want to hear that fucking Captain Jack Sparrow. Yeah, right. Like, (laughs) and change up the graphics. It's not like you don't have enough fucking money, McMahon. Jesus Christ. (laughs) So it felt, it does feel a little lazy, but Uh it is what it is. Anyway, yay, WrestleMania. Oh, quickly, before we go, uh, Andrade officially got his release. Good for him. I'm I'm guessing Charlotte must have put her foot down because um, it felt like out of nowhere and yes. not like WWE's <laughs> MO at all. Uh, but uh, he has no 90 day no compete clause. So he, Which is super exciting. Right. So I feel like Charlotte really had to work some fucking magic. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, do we think he shows up anywhere soon? Um, I I mean, I would imagine maybe three months or so would probably have to pass. He's got he got to do ne- negotiations. <laughs> I don't think so. I think no. If you you want, think it's gonna be like tomorrow? I think if you want to fucking you know make it a big surprise or something like that, like New Japan or AEW gets him as soon as possible or TNA. And I think if I'm Andrade, I want to get out there in front of the camera, you know, while mm-hmm. my name is hot. Like that, that's what you do if you're smart. I mean, you don't, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I signed a full fucking contract. It can just be like a one night thing and like see where we're going, you know? Um, but if I was AEW, I, I'd 
be all about, you know, getting that big moment and stealing headlines. I would get fucking Zelina, you know, uh, or Trinidad, I think she's going by now, and Andrade in front of the camera as soon as possible. Even if you can't, like, hammer out, like, a full-time deal, you know, they're mm-hmm. not they're not afraid of having part-time wrestlers on their show. So if you can just get some kind of, like, working agreement, that will definitely, like I said, steal all the headlines and get people to tune in. You want to make your show Absolutely. feel like anything can happen unpredictable. And that's such a fucking nitro thing to do. And we know Khan uh. has been definitely <laughs> is definitely a fan of those old nitro episodes. So do you have any fantasy bookings for Andrade? Like who would you like to see him like jump into a program with, you know, to start off? Oh, uh, I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't think it will happen because, you know, Charlotte's here in the States, but I'd love to see him run over to New Japan. Um, not to work with Naito and his group. I want him to be with um, Will Ospreay in his new faction. Oh, the Empire? I feel like that would be a great, yeah, I feel like that would be a great mix for him. Uh, they are supposed to have, like, a mystery partner in their next mm. match. I have no clue who that's supposed to be. And this was booked, like, a week or so ago. So <laughs> yeah. I, I doubt it's on Friday. <laughs> Unless they fucking, you know, really throw us a curveball here. And, you know, they... They change, you know, course. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I, I would love to see Andrade versus, you know, Kenny. I would love to see him working mm. with, like, you know, the Lucha Brothers and everything. Um, oh, you know, working with or working against. That would be fantastic. Um, I want him masked up. You know, <laughs> I want him to go back to the full gimmick. I, I don't know. I love a mask, so uh, uh-huh. <laughs> that's just me. But you know, I I don't know. I, I'm I'm happy for the guy though. He's got to be just relieved. He's literally been sitting in catering since October, so yes, doing I nothing. Think. Now, if we could only like free Alistair Black, you know, the, all would be right in the world. Yes, <laughs> bring the family back together. <laughs> there was that rumor that was floated out there once everyone realized that Charlotte wasn't on the WrestleMania card. Anymore that she was super like dissatisfied with the company and maybe staging like, you know, a mini protest uh, by like refusing to, you know, do mania. Um, Apparently that's not the case. Apparently she has COVID um, and that's what's taking her off the car. Mania is like three weeks out. So I wouldn't be surprised if Charlotte like, you know, gets kind of shoehorned into that Asuka uh, Mm -hmm. Ripley match. Which I'm fine with. That's honestly what I thought was happening in the first place, as long as Ripley, you know, walks away the title. <laughs> but if, you know, that's the case, that's anyone's guess, honestly. Um, but yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised by that. You know, if that's another like, mean, wrinkle to the story that they're waiting uh-huh. to like drop on us. I, I hope if if they do plan on doing that, they do announce it earlier than later, though, because even then you could have her doing like, I don't know, some shit from via satellite you know, just doing promos to say that she's going to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, elite, the one feather that they have in their cap is that Charlotte actually challenged Asuka for the belt um, prior mm-hmm. to, you know, her being gone for a week or so. Because I feel like she's only been off TV for about a week. So she did make the challenge. And Rhea did, like, you know, mention that in her promo. So I don't know. So it won't feel so, like, forced and out of place. Um, you know, so I, I don't think fans could be that pissed off if that ends up happening. I personally wouldn't mind just to see a one-on-one match between like, you know, Ripley and Asuka. Cause I feel like that's going to, you know, be a show stealer, 
but mm-hmm. it is what it is too because i feel like ripley has unfinished business with charlotte so i'd love to see her you know get the pin on charlotte to win that belt uh, so and i feel like that'd be like the story come full circle i guess i would like to see if charlotte beats oscar then we have um you know ripley getting a program to actually chase after the title and you know beat charlotte dude i cannot handle fucking ripley <laughs> suffering another disappointment at wrestlemania <laughs> like, uh. i feel like this should be her big moment uh but it is the wwe so who knows Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? All right, next week we'll be breaking down the second episode of The Falcon and the Witcher Soldier. That's right, and we'll also be talking Godzilla versus Kong. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Don't say it. Don't you say it. Come on!